In John chapter 9, we see a marvelous, wonderful account of Christ demonstrating his power in the life of a man that was born blind. Born blind from birth. The Lord will use this man as an illustration uh, to illustrate a greater work that God wants to do in the life of a person spiritually. God wants to open the spiritual eyes of people, not just the physical eyes of people. And through this man, he works a work that would cause people, some people to marvel and others uh, be belligerent, be persecuting the work of Christ. But over here, this miracle validates the, mir- uh, the ministry of Christ. The miracle work uh, also indicates his ministry and his message. We spoke a little bit about that last week. But we see a greater work, as I said, that Christ wants to do in the life of this man, and that's open his spiritual senses, to see his spiritual need and the whole purpose of Christ coming. A lot of people have eyes to see, but they're spiritually blind, spiritually blind. And last week I entitled the message, Blind Men See, but this week I entitled the message, uh, Seeing Men Are Blind. Seeing men are blind. So last week we saw the compassion of Christ and we noticed in verse 1 when Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. He saw a man. And we saw the absolute quality of Christ in seeing people and meeting their need. He didn't look at people as a, uh, you know, just a number. He saw him as a soul. And we saw how, uh, you know, he looked at this man as uh, someone that needed help. In verse 2, we see sincere questions, and we saw this in a, in a brief way. His disciples asked, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so the common belief was the fact that if you sinned, it brought forth suffering. And we understand that to be true in some cases, but not this one. Jesus explains in verse 3 that neither of them sinned, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him that the power of God, the works of God, will be made manifest. And so God allows some things to take place in our lives, that God may work a mighty work in our lives. And I'm afraid some people miss out on that greater work. Because naturally, when something takes place, we, play, we ask God to help us be healed. Now, in some instances, there's no problem with that. But have you ever considered the fact that God is using this impairment, or this suffering, or this health issue to bring about a mighty work in your life, that God will reveal his power in your life, that God will show you greater things than what you see now. And I believe that very clearly that God wants to do that, that he wanted to do it in the life of Job, that that Job will be refined and that he'll come forth as gold. But the natural inclination is when we uh, go through suffering or something happens is, God, take this away, take this away. And Paul prayed three times whether it was three times in the day or three times in the week or the month, he had something that uh, simply uh, caused him to you know, be distressed. It was a thorn in the flesh. He prayed that it would be taken away. By the way, there's nothing wrong about praying that God will take infirmities away if it's according to his will. But many a times they're purposely put there or allowed in our lives to bring, up a, a bring about a greater work. And instead of people getting better, they get bitter with God. Why did you allow this in my life? God wants to work something. And so it only brings out, in some cases, the selfishness of human life. Not being thankful or grateful 
Now think about this for a moment. Did God really have to give us two eyes? No. He didn't have to. But he chose to give us two eyes. Did he have to give us, you know, two hands? No. He didn't have to. You know. But God designed us in this way and we're so thankful that he did. But when there's a loss or where there's an impairment, it's either we curse God or we say, Lord, there's a great work to be done here. There's a reason why you've allowed this. You know, Job's wife said that to Job, didn't she? Why don't you just curse God and die? And so Job didn't realize, at that point he wanted to be faithful, but he realized later on that God was doing a great work in his life. God was allowing him to see. What I find extraordinary about this account is that this blind man did not buck or kick against God's plan, did not ask any questions and say, why did you make me like this? We don't see anything take place here. We don't know if that was taking place in his heart, but we see very clearly and evidently that he submitted himself under the hand of God. And praise God for the attitude that we can submit ourselves under the things that God allows in our life. And he wasn't just a number. He was a soul that Jesus fixed his eyes upon and wanted to intervene in his life. And as I said last week, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee, saying that to a prophet of God. Before I formed thee, made thee, in the belly I knew thee. And so think about that just for a moment. I didn't labor too much on this last week, but it's just amazing to, to think about uh, the fact that God knew you before you were even born. He created you in his mind and plan and purpose before you were even born and formed in the belly. He knew you. That's amazing to me. That's absolutely extraordinary that this is no accident. That this man was born blind for a purpose that God would demonstrate his power in him and that he would be a byproduct of God's grace and work and, and, and that's what God wants to do in your life. You're no accident, so to speak. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not just a number. God knows you. You, you know, you don't have to be a prophet. You can be a blind beggar. It doesn't matter. God works. All things together for good to them that love God, and that's key. So this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you really love God? Does God look into uh, you know, the future and see that this person will not become a God-hating heathen, but rather will be a God-loving saint? I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a God-lover than a God-hater. And over here we see a man submit himself under the hand of God. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus declares his work. He conveys his purpose for his coming. He is the light of the world. And we see also in verses 6 and 7, he performs uh, this working miracle. Verses 8 to 12, we see the blind man give his testimony. And verses 13 to 17, we see the people present uh, asking him, you know, what's taking place? Wanting to know, you know, how did this happen? Who did this? And uh, wanting to find out uh, this marvelous thing that had taken place. And then they present him to the religious rulers. So last week we looked at the compassion of Jesus Christ. This week we're going to look at the confrontation of the Pharisees. 
This is when they bring this blind, healed man, or he once was blind, but now he sees, and they present him to the religious rulers. They present him to the Pharisees. Now, I want you to call your attention here to uh, verses 13. And I want you to understand something first, that there was a great resistance to the working miracle of Christ in this man's life. What we see in this passage is no matter what was said or what was heard or what the Pharisees saw, they were adamant that they would not believe. They were willful in their unbelief. They weren't like other men saying, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm struggling here. No, no, no. These men were adamant that they will not believe. They will not believe. They already had an agenda. They already had despised Jesus because he exposed them. We're going to see that in, later on in, in a moment. But in verses 13 to 14, John highlights the fact that Jesus made clay on the Sabbath day. Now, that's important. Last week, I said to you that I don't know why Jesus used this method of making clay to anoint his eyes. But there could be significant truth here that he made it purposely on the Sabbath day to try to expose the merciless, indifferent attitude of the Pharisees. Now, did he do this deliberately to tick them off? You know, no, he, I would say he did this to sh perhaps show, I personally believe, in my opinion, uh, people that these people are merciless. They don't really care. They're, they care more about their distorted system of the law than they do people. And we see that very clearly today. People are more hyped up about uh, you know, a system, rules, regulations. They love the system, the, the whole system, and they forget about souls. And I think that that's very evident today in many cults and people that perhaps have been um, deluded and deceived. Uh, and so have a look at verse 13. And they brought to the Pharisees him that a full time was blind. And it was on the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay. John, John, I believe, emphasizes this and opened his eyes. Now, understand that God never intended the Sabbath day to be a day where the Jews would rest from showing compassion. <laughs> you know, what would happen if someone was sick on that Sabbath day? Would they just say, forget about bringing a physician? Forget about, you know. They had a distorted view of the Sabbath. Go to Matthew chapter 12 and leave your finger there in John chapter 9. And when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? See, now they always had loaded questions. This was one of them. And, uh, and so I love how he answers he always answers with wisdom. Look at verse 11. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he, na uh, will, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath days? Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth his hand, and he stretch it forth, uh, sorry, then he saith to, hey to the man, stretch forth your, thy hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was re restored hold like as the other. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might what? Destroy him. They missed it. They missed it. He, why were they angry? 
Why did they come together? Because he only exposed them. He says, you care more for sheep than you do with, for people. Well, we have that today, don't we? People are animal lovers more than they love people. You know, if people can kill you, they would. I ask this man, no, very seriously, and I'm not joking. I, I'm not even exaggerating uh, this to be true. Three weeks ago, around about three weeks ago, I asked a man, I asked a man he was uh, an atheist or agnostic. He's on the fence, and I asked him, I said, if you were, you know, living uh, next to your neighbor and there was, his house was on fire and he had a dog, uh, would you, and you only had one person or one creature to save, would you save the dog or would you save the man? He said, I'll save the dog. I said, why would you do that? He goes, because the dog is more friendly than the man. I said, oh, well, this person's probably been hurt in his lifetime. But I wouldn't like to be his neighbor. Uh, look, there are people like this. They, they don't care about other people. That's why the second greater commandment is the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, but people love animals and things and prosperity and possession and their position more than souls. That's sad. We see that very clearly today. They love uh, the accolades and, and they love themselves more than they love uh, the things of God. And that's, that's sad. And so over here we see that they were more interested in really, in reality, themselves. I want to put him to death only because I realized he was speaking truth. And we'll see that a little later on again. But have a look at verse 15 in uh, John chapter 9. Look at verse 15. We see the Pharisees press the man to know how he was able to see. They press him and they say, then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Now this is not really a genuine question. This is an interrogation. They were just interrogating him. In, the ver in verse 15, the man gives a simple, profound answer. He said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and now I do see. Very simple. This is how it happened. This is the details. And now I see. And uh, look at verse 16. The arrogant response and their insensitivity to this man. Rather than saying, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. You see, you were born blind, but now you see. That's tremendous. No, they didn't even care about whether the man uh, could see or not because they had other agendas. They didn't care about souls. They didn't care about people. All they cared about is themselves and undermining the truth and undermining Christ. And this is the whole agenda here. Have a look. In verse 16, therefore said some. Now I want you to know that because not all the Pharisees that were there had this attitude said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God. Why? Well, look at their uh, response. Because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Now, this is, again, a distorted view of the Sabbath. Again, we don't find anywhere in, uh, in Scripture that you, you know, on the Sabbath day, you're insensitive to the needs of people. They, they accused Jesus of violating the law or not keeping the Sabbath. They came to the conclusion... Because they had a distorted view, we can say, on the word of God. And people come to distorted conclusions because they have a distorted view on the word of God. I like what Albert Barnes says. He says this, Men often assume their own interpretation of the scriptures to be infallible and then judge and condemn all others by their own interpretation. <laughs> I like that. 
Well, I'll read it again. Men often assume their own interpretation of the scriptures to be infallible, then judge and condemn all others by those interpretations. How many people today do damage to the scripture and do damage to people's lives because they're trying to twist the scripture to suit their narrative? They don't care about the truth of God's word. They have an agenda and they want to fulfill it by twisting the scripture. And God help every single one of us here today not to be a Pharisee that will do that. I don't want to be a preacher that twists the scripture for my own purposes. Because it can do damage to the word of God and in result it can do damage to the souls of people. There was a blind leading the blind. These men can see but they were blind. Why? Because they distorted the word of God and they had other agendas in their heart. So therefore they cannot see. They weren't sincere. They weren't genuine in approaching the law of God. Far from it. They looked like they did. People perceived that they did. But they didn't. Because there were hidden agendas in their heart. And the more Jesus confronted them, the more the heart came out, the more angrier they got, and they wanted to kill him. Yep. Look at verse 16. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do this such a miracle? And there was a division among them. Now, uh, there were some people that were analyzing the situation of what was going on, they were thinkers. Uh, they were looking, observing, hearing and thinking, weighing up the situation, weighing up the account of Christ while they were hearing the testimony of what took place. And they were thinking, how could this man perform this miracle if God didn't send him? Now, I can't help stop and think that Nicodemus was among these people. In chapter 7, we see that he was there. Chapter 3, we see that he was there. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 3, we see Nicodemus noticed that Jesus was the real deal. Have a look. In John chapter number 3. Thank God for uh, people that will stand out and speak out. Amen. Yeah, praise God. Have a look. In John chapter number 3, look at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. You ever wonder why Nicodemus came by night? I do. Maybe he was afraid in the interim of those that would simply put fear in his heart. But he wanted to know the truth. I believe Nicodemus wanted to know the truth and he came by night and he said unto him rabbi look at this statement we know that thou art a teacher come from god for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except god be with him see that statement that he made that he acknowledged the fact that he was from god it was evident that he was from god remember the time that they charged jesus that he cast out devils with the spirit of beelzebub and Jesus confronts him and says, how can Satan cast out Satan? You know, all he's doing is you know, working against himself because we know that Satan came to blind the eyes of the people. That's his whole mission. And he does it through lies. Why would he want to do that? No, 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 no. This is by God that this is done. Only God can open up the eyes of the blind and only God can save a sinful soul. Yeah. So you know, Nicodemus observes this. And have a look at John chapter 7. He also was willing to speak up amongst the Pharisees. In John chapter 7. And look at verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is a prophet. 
Others said, this is Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? There was always a division. Why? Because there were those thinkers that wanted to know. There were those that were adamant. They didn't want to know. And we see that happen even today. And he says in verse 42, Have not the scripture said that Christ cometh from the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem? Yeah, it did. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But read other scripture as well. Where David was, verse 43. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Verse 45, then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have ye not brought him? And the officers answered, I like this, never man spake like this man. Praise God. Verse 47, then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? Mm-hmm. All this is, is a manipulative tactic. That's all it is. Are you also deceived? Why? Because they see something that you cannot see. They hear something and they see something that you cannot see. They understand some truths that you are not willing to accept because you're blind. You see physically, but you can't see spiritually because you're not of the truth. And Jesus actually uh, confronts them in, in uh, John chapter 8 in this. But let's, have, let's continue to read verse 48. Uh, and he says, have any other rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But these people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Look at, look at what Nicodemus said. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, emphasis, being one of them, doth not our, he says, Doth our Lord judge any man before it heareth it, hear him? And know what he doeth? That's true. Are we going to condemn this man before we hear his account? I mean, you guys are so easily to condemn him and cast him out and kill him, and we haven't even heard him completely. Why? Because they want of the truth. They want to know the truth. They were willful disobedient and, 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 and simply full of unbelief willfully. They weren't struggling with believing. As a matter of fact, some of them, I believe with all my heart, that they would have seen some things, but they were simply willful in not really acknowledging them to be true because they wanted to remain blind. And the reasons why people want to remain blind in John chapter 3 says because they love darkness more than the light. And they do not, the truth, they do not want to come to the, to the light lest their deeds be exposed. This is why people don't want to believe is because they have wickedness in their heart. They're not willing to let go. And that's the truth. Now, let's continue to read. I like what he says here. <clears throat> and um, verse uh, 40, uh, sorry, verse uh, 52, they answered and said unto him, which is Nicodemus, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of the Gal uh, Galilee arises no prophet. And every man went out of his own house. I was just trying to undermine Nicodemus. Are you a Galilee? Are you biased? You know, he stood up. He said something. Now that took courage to do that because the Pharisees didn't want anyone to go against them. And here we have Nicodemus willing to stand out and speak out. And we see at the end that he with Joseph Arimathea went and begged the body of Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was there. Man, what a spirit to have. To, to stand on the side of truth to have your eyes open because of the Word of God is a precious thing. Some people don't want that. The Word of God is preached and they want to remain blind. We don't want to hear it 
We don't want to hear it. Get rid of him. Kill him. And some people say, we want to hear more of this. We want to hear more of the word of God. And that's an attitude that every single one of us have. You know why? Because that's an attitude that says, hey, listen, I'm blind and I want to see. I'm blind and I want to know more. Well, at least regarding the things of eternity. And over here in verse 17, have a look. Have a look at verse 17 in John chapter 9. The Pharisees sought the opinion of this man and they wanted to know what he thought. The Pharisees, the other Pharisees said, hey, this guy can't be a sinner. I mean, he's, I mean, uh, can't, you know, he's got to be a man of God. He's sent from God because he's, I mean, can sinners do this? You know, they've got to be sent of God. But so, what do you think? Says to the blind man or the blind man that was healed, what sayest thou of him? In verse 17, that he hath opened thy eyes. Now, by asking this question, they were hoping to intimidate him, no doubt, to get him to be critical about Jesus. They were clutching at straws here. There was no doubt about that. They were losing the situation that was taking place. Oh, what do you say about him? And uh, in other words, again, it was a loaded question. Because if we look at verses 22, drop down, have a look at verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already, what? That if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. They had already planned and agreed that if anybody would confess him to be Christ, that they'll be excommunicated. So now they put him on trial. So what do you think about him? Not because they wanted to know the truth but they wanted to catch him out to excommunicate him. And if you read later on, that's what they did. And so what, what does he say? What, what was his response? In verse 17, verse 18, what did he say? In verse 17, at the end of that, he said, he's a prophet. Now, a prophet was considered a man of God, sent by God with a message of God. So at the very least, we can say that he understood that this man, Jesus, was of God. Now, that's not a bad thing because the, the prophets were stoned. The prophets, for the most part, were, most of them were persecuted, put in prison. And so here we have the Son of God come, and he's already told the Pharisees this, that time and time again, God sent his prophet, he's killed them, and here the Son of God has come, and you want to kill him too. And so we understand that very least that this man acknowledged that him to be a man of God sent from God a prophet at this point. And that's, that's a good thing to acknowledge. Now, in verse 18 to 20, we see the religious rulers call his parents because they couldn't shake the testimony of this man. So they go to the authority, which is his parents, hoping to put an end to this. Now, to intimidate the parents. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him the man's testimony, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? Two questions. Who ye say was born blind? That's one. And then look at the second question. How then doth he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. They answered that question. Verse 21, notice to respond to the second question. But by what means he now seeth? We know not. Or who, who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He's of age. Ask him. He shall speak for him.
self. Now, I kind of wonder if they really knew what took place. I don't know. I don't see any support here regarding his profession or confession of this miracle taking place. It was almost like, as I see it, they wanted to just pass, pass the buck. You know, let's take it back to our son. We don't want anything to do with this matter. Sorry? We'll just hand him over. Just, hey, you're on your own, son. You're of age. You can, you can answer this for yourself. And thank God for the times that people come to an age to receive Jesus Christ as their saviour. I thank God for that. But over here we see something different. They were almost using that to say, look, he's a grown man. He can answer for himself. Let, just ask him. I thank God for parents that support their children in, 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 in following Jesus Christ. Now, over here, we can say they were ignorant. I'm not really sure. But the account tells us, John tells us in this account, that they were fearful. We read that in verse 22. Have a look again. These words spake his parents because they feed the Jews. So that, they were fearful. Hey, listen. This is why they said in, in, in verse 23, Therefore said his parents, his of age, ask him. So the Bible does tell us the reason why he, they said this uh, his of age is because they were fearful of the Jews of being excommunicated. Very clearly. If we confess him to be Christ and say with our son he's a prophet or a man of God, we're going to be done. I mean, that, see, see you later. There goes our livelihood. There goes our reputation within the community. See you later. No one, they would make you to be finished, done. That was it. But Jesus prophesied this already. Not on the, ser on the Sermon on the Plain. We see it very clearly in Luke chapter 6. Have a look. Leave your finger there. Turn to Luke chapter 6. He prophesied this. He said this will take place. He said that if any man come and confess or follow Christ, that uh, you'll be persecuted for his name's sake. Look at verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall what? Hate you. And when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you. And cast out your name as evil. Why? For the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto who? The prophets. So over here, specifically, they will hate you, separate you from their company, excommunicate you. Jesus prophesied this in his sermon, that if any man will come after him, he'll be hated. People will separate them, themselves from them. When I came to Christ, I want to reach my friends. I never separated from my friends. I wanted to reach them. I separated from those that were a bad influence and they want to hear the word of God. But for the most part, I wanted to reach them. They separated from me. They didn't want anything to do with me. Oh, here comes Charlie. All he wants to do is talk, talk about... every. There was a one particular time that we had card night at my place. And so when I got saved, this transition continued, except I didn't drink and gamble. It was just normal card playing fun, whatever. And so I thought, okay, I'll continue it. I want to be a blessing to my friends. And so we had a, a table. We, we, we played cards. And at the end of it, I said, guys, before you go, I want to just show you something. I'd open up the Bible and show them how they can be saved. And so next week came. They still came again. And then after some time, there were people dwindling, dwindling. And sure enough, I found myself to be alone in one other friend that came to the Lord. Out of all my friends that I had, I know that one of them had come to the Lord. There was one other friend that led me to the Lord. But other than that, there was one that came to the Lord. 
Now this happens in families. When you come to Christ, I remember my mom saying, if you're going to continue following this uh, out of the house, I said to her mom, you're making it difficult, but it's easy because I'd rather put God, because God first, because God made you. Without God, I wouldn't have you. But they threaten you. Uh, work colleagues, uh, you, you get it. And, and look, in any group, whether it's friends or family, work colleagues, Whatever it is, you might get persecuted in this way. So we don't really want to hang out with you. We don't, really, we don't really want anything to do with you. Why? Because of the Word of God. You want, to, you want everything to do with them. You want to reach them. You want them to, you want them to know the truth. But they'll come to a point where they just, they're cold and they don't want anything to do with you and they'll find themselves isolating from you and not really wanting to know. In reality, these people didn't want anybody shining the light amongst them. So see you later. We don't want it. Go. Leave us alone. Yep. That's what we see take place. Excommunication for the reason of following or confessing Jesus Christ. Let's have a look. Let's continue to read this. Jesus. You ever wonder why they hated Jesus? You ever wonder why they despised him to no end and despise those that follow him? He's a man of truth, God of truth, and the followers are people of truth. In John chapter 8, he already told them that the reason why you don't want to hear this is because you're not of the truth. You know what he said to them? He says, you know, your father is the devil and the will of the father, the lust of the father, you will do because he's a liar and murderer from the beginning. Man, that's heavy hitting. I mean, imagine telling someone that just want to block their ears. The reason why you don't want to hear the truth is because you're following the lies of the devil and the will of your father did the devil. You will do and the reason why you don't receive the truth because you're not of the truth. Wow. Imagine being a follower of the devil. And by the way, we're all followers of the devil by default. That's why Jesus calls all men everywhere to repent and says that you must be born again. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says all this, this great, wonderful statement, Jesus didn't say, thank you, Nicodemus, for realizing that I've come from God. He cut to the chase and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. <laughs> Anyone can come to the knowledge of the f- truth. They come to the facts and know them. And sometimes it's to their own detriment. But what are you going to do with the truth that you know? You either embrace it, you accept it, you, you, you believe on it, with all your heart and you follow Christ, some people, all they know is truth up here, but it's never hit their heart. It's never caused them to be born again. So all they have is just from one religion to another religion, from, from this to that. And so these people that had a religious system claimed to be the father of Abraham, their father was Abraham, and that was the whole John, John's account in John chapter 8. In reality, their father was the devil. We follow God. We follow Abraham. If you had followed Abraham, you would do what Abraham preached. And we know that Abraham prophesied Christ. He saw that day coming. He was absolutely a picture, a wonderful picture. 
there in the mount, there sacrificing Isaac, were willing to anyway, to give him up freely. And we see that picture of Isaac would be his son to be sacrificed, would be a picture of Christ to be sacrificed for us. If, if they were really following Abraham and seeing the life of Abraham, they would have accepted Christ. But they weren't following Abraham. They weren't following him. Because Abraham, listen, led to Christ. Moses led to Christ. The prophets led to Christ. And the reason why we know that these people weren't following the truth of what Abraham pictured or purposed or prophesied is because their father was the devil. And the reality of that is because they rejected truth. 22, 23 again. These words spake his parents because they what? Feed the Jews. Now this is a genuine, honestly, this is a genuine genuine reality for every single person if anyone if anything stops someone from believing the truth it's fear and the fear of man and the fear of man brings a fear of loss this is in the proverbs in proverbs 29 verse 25 the fear of man bringeth a what snare but whosoever put their faith put their trust in the lord shall be made safe so if you fear man, you're going to be snared and trapped. These were tra these par his parents were trapped. They were snared. They were in bondage because of their fear. This is a reality that people face. This reality is no doubt cripples a person from coming to Christ and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that people fear man more than God? Why? Oh, because they'll be thrust out of the company. I'd rather die believing this book and living this book than to be the friends of a thousand people. I'm telling you. And my closest friend other than Jesus Christ is my wife. And I'm not going to love my wife more than this book. No way in the world. No way in the world. I'll live and die for the cause of Christ and this book being the truth. This here, the word of God. And Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth. Yeah. Fear cripples a person. Oh, you might lose some people from your church because you want to obey the book. If that happens, I'm going to be sad, but I can't deny the truth. The truth will prevail. Yeah. I'm not going to let anyone come in and try to squeeze or twist or stretch the truth for their own narrative. I want to obey this book, follow this book, and live and die uh, believing it and living it. Yeah, fear may come, but I want to fear God more than man. Because he's been a great saviour. And he's opened my eyes. And I can see. Yes. And there are people that see but they're blind. Why? Because the truth is not in them. And they don't love the truth. They love their own agenda. They want to do their own thing. There's something in their heart. And they can, as they continue to leave these things in their heart, listen, they'll be blind bats. The moment you say, God, I don't want to be fearing man. I'm willing to lose for the sake of truth. And God will give you light. 
Do you know what Jesus said to Pilate? He said, to the end was I born. For this cause I came into the world, that I shall bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that hears, uh, everyone of the truth, listen, heareth my voice. This is the reason why I came, to bear witness of the truth. And everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. Why, don't, why can't people hear the truth? Because they have agendas in their heart. And you know what? God knows every single person's heart here, whether you're a lover of truth or your own agenda. And if you have any little, tiny, little bit of agenda in your heart, you'll be blinded. Seeing men are blind because their agenda in their heart, fear something, they're afraid. No, the surrender must come to truth, truth, or the truth, nothing but the truth. You know why people go to hell? Have a look at Revelation 21.8. You know what's first on the list? The fearful. The fearful. Have a look. Revelation 21.8. But we'll look at verse 6, and then we'll come to verse 8. And he said unto him, me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. You thirsty? He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. He shall be my son. But look at this conjunction. But the what? The fearful. Fearing what? And all these other things on the list. The unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But I'm going to ask you a question. Fear of what? Fear of man? Fear of loss? Fear of reputation? Who cares? I'd rather stand on the side of Christ than the side of the Pharisees and know that I've, I'm an overcomer in Him and inherit the kingdom of God than to stand with these religious buffs that have an agenda in their heart. No. So you're going to lose things when you come to Christ. Jesus said that you'd lose things. I asked my father if I can use his testimony as an example. He said, yes, I, I can. I preached to my father for about five years. He's a professed Orthodox Christian. He'd be at church every Sunday, almost every Sunday, standing in the back. If anybody read their Bible in the house, it was my dad. Professed Orthodox. Wasn't born again. He only knew what he was taught. His grandmother taught him Christian morals at a young age, and he followed those as best as he can. I think he had some sort of fear in his heart that caused him to teach the things of Christ, but never was born again, never regenerated. And so for five years, I said to my dad, Dad, you need to be, you need to be born again. You be saved. Your religious duty, your religious works cannot get you to heaven. And the things that you're doing, you're following the words of Christ is good, but they're not enough to get you to heaven. And so over time, when God got a hold of his heart, one day he was driving to church and this is the time where he actually let go of tradition and started coming to our church. The people in our church were amazed at the fact that God 
would work in his heart so much so that he would actually leave his tradition and come to a Bible-believing church. And they'll come up to me and say, God's answered prayer. And I said, he has, but he's not saved yet. Please don't make him feel like he's saved when he's not. Yes, he's in this church and it's a Bible-believing church, but that doesn't mean he's saved. Yes, he's singing the hymns and he, you know, he has his Bible open, but listen, that doesn't mean he's saved. Please don't give him that false assurance. Some of them understood. We prayed for him. But one day he was driving along and he said to my mother, he said, I'm done. I'm done. My mum looked at him. It's like, what's he talking about? He goes, I'm, I'm over it. I'm finished. Said, about what? What's wrong? He goes, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? You know what my father was fearful about? what his brothers and sisters would have thought if he left the Orthodox Church and went to this Bible-believing church. Because we have a reputation. Oh, these guys are Bible believers. Yeah, what's wrong with being a Bible believer? These people follow the Bible. They don't follow the archbishop or the pope or the tradition of men. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Anything wrong with that? Well, it's a reputation. When, my, when I first preached to my mom, she said to me, I was born a Catholic, I die a Catholic. And I said, you'll go to hell. And she was also afraid of her sisters and her family. And when she got saved and uh, baptized, they said to her, oh, you're just following Charlie. She said, no, I'm following Christ. And, and, and my mom used to say to me when uh, uh, that person led me to the Lord, oh, all you're doing is following Robert. That, I said, no I'm, no, I'm following the Lord. My mom used the very same thing that her sisters said to her. You can almost see it. Oh, you're following this, your son, the blind man. You know, if the parents made that decision to support their son, they almost see the Pharisees say, oh, you're just following your son. <laughs> What's wrong with his son's profession? That he's a prophet of God and he's not a sinner and that he healed me and that he opened my eyes. What's wrong with that? What do you want? You just want excess. You want to live in sin. You want to justify your lifestyle and have a little religion too. Yeah. That's what's wrong with it. And you want the accolades of men. You want the praise of men. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Nothing. And Jesus says, what are you actually giving in exchange for your soul? What is it for you? Look at John 12. Look at John 12, verse 25. Look at verse 25. He that loveth his life shall what? Lose it. What a paradox. You love your life, you'll lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. That's a paradox. Same paradox Jesus uses in 9.39. For judgment I came into the world that they which see not might see and they which see might be made blind. That's a paradox. The opposite is true. I hate my life. I, will I, 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 I would find it. I lose my life. I would find it. Yeah, it's a paradox. If I say, Lord, please, I cannot see. I want to know the truth. Show me. I'm willing. I'm sincere. He'll show you. But if you're just going to be a Pharisee, hold on to your life, have a hidden agenda, claim to know it all, you're not going to see anything. But when you humble yourself and you come before the Lord, and you show me. 
And you know what, Christian? That doesn't only happen to salvation. That happens through our Christian life as we grow. And we say, God, I'm dependent upon you to continue to show me and lead me. And you know what? He does. That's why I can't. When I stand before God, I'm not going to stand for you and you're not going to stand for me. I know what God is doing here and I'm, I know what God is doing in my life according to the word of God and I'm going to stand before God and give an account for me, not for you. Not for my, my, for my sin, but for my service and the way God wants to sanctify my life. And you want to stand before God for that too. And you say, how do I come to that point where I'm going to stand and, 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 and find my life and be able to rejoice in that day and hear those words when you stand and say, Lord, I'm a seeing man, but I want, to, I want you to continue to let me see. I don't know everything. I want to be teachable. I want, I want to grow. I don't know everything. Help me to grow. Help me be the wise. I don't know everything. You maintain that. You read the Proverbs chapter 9. A wise man will increase in learning. Yeah, why? Because the disposition is, I'm a blind man. Blind men see. Seeing men are made blind. Lord, I don't know everything, but I want you to show me. I, I, I don't want to come to the point, brethren, when I think I know everything I cannot be taught. Yeah. That was the Pharisees. And we, can, we don't have time to go into it. But next week, God willing, we'll look at the confidence of this blind man that wasn't a theologian. Listen carefully. Wasn't a theologian. Wasn't an expert in Greek or Hebrew. Give a crash course to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees saying, born in sin, teaching us. Away with him. Why? Because he gave you some truth. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Well, I, I wish I can preach it right now. But I can't. But wow. What, what a scene. I mean, that's when they had enough. You're teaching me? Oh, I mean, don't you know who we are? Scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law? I mean, we can just, you know, dissect this book like this. We're studied learned men. Who are you? Born in sin, blind, teaching us? Yeah, very simple truths. Very simple truths that they can change your life and never be too big for simple truths of God's word. Even when it was the simple truths of God's word that helped me grow and see. It wasn't complicated. Simple truths. Men that have an agenda like to twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Don't twist it. Submit yourself under if you don't know something that's difficult, say, Lord, I don't know. I can't see. Show me. Praise God. And he'll show you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll order his steps in time. You don't have to know everything in one sitting. Amen. Just learn and grow and have that disposition saying, I'm, I just can't see. Just show me. And he will. He'll show you. He'll guide you. It doesn't matter if you're a prophet like Jeremiah or this little blind man, beggar. Praise God for the insight that God gave him in the moment to be able to speak to the Pharisees that really just caused them to be frustrated and angry. Have a look at verse 39, what Jesus said. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might 
be made blind. These Pharisees were blind, leading the blind, and Jesus had to expose them so others can see the truth. Yeah. These were seeing men who were absolutely blind. And look at verse 40. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. You Pharisees cannot just admit that you're blind. And therefore your sin remaineth. See, it's so hard. It's so difficult for men to see their sin. Why? Because they love it. They love it. They love their own ways. They're filled with their own devices and not until you say, I'm sick of my sin, I'm done. Lord, show me and he will. In whatever context, salvation, sanctification, whatever you're going through, whatever's taking place in your life, let me ask you this question. Which side do you want to stand on? Seriously, which side? The side of the Pharisees or the side of the truth? I've made my decision with Joshua a long time ago. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We want to be on the side of the truth. I'm not deviating. If my kid grows up to be a hateful heathen of God, mate, I'll put him on church discipline just like any other person. I'm not going to compromise for no man. No man. I pray, and we prayed this morning that our kids in the Sunday school would not grow up to be haters of God, but lovers of God. They have their own free will. And that they would see the truth and not be deceived by the culture of this world and the devil who roams around trying to deceive men through every avenue he can, through the internet, through the media, through movies. I would not want to be part of that at all. I have had my fair share and I've seen a lot of things the Lord showed me. And then what the Lord showed me, I was the devil's puppet. You know what the strings were? The string of alcohol, the string of fornication, the string of ungodly movies, the string of ungodly music, the string of adulteries and all this. And I was just going, yes, I love this. Not until someone confronted me with the gospel. He says, where are you going to spend eternity? I didn't know. I had a bit of religion. And uh, that night my sin was exposed. God opened up my eyes to see myself a sinner and see the great Savior at the very same time. And I said, Lord, I'm done. You see my life crooked and you want to make it straight. Lord, make it straight. Make it straight. And praise God for the last 18 years he's been making it straight. Still crooked. I can't tell you it's all the way straight, friends. If I tell you, I'll be blind. You understand that? May God help every one of us <laughs> to not be apprehended. Because once we come to that point, we think we're all right, we're done. This is, yeah, this is good. This is as far as... No, 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 no. We're done. We're finished. No, there's a lot of work to be done this side of heaven. We need to say, God, do it, please. Work in my life. Work a Christ-like life in me. Help me continue to see some things that I'm blind. You know, we have a lot of blind things, a lot of blind spots. 
God wants to show us, every single one of us here today. In verse 24, we see the religious rulers get desperate. Bring back the boy. And they, they ask him again, how was this done? I can't go into it. I already told you. You want to be his disciples too? <laughs> yeah. Maybe next week we'll look into that. The confidence of the blind man that was healed, yes. But by God's grace, every single one of us here, please, little, little kids, Elisha, my prayer for you, my son. My prayer for you is that you'll see and God will show you. And all these other little ones, that you would not fall on the snares of the devil and remain blind all the way to hell. God will open up your eyes. That's my, my prayer for you. I love you. You will see. Let's pray.